You're listening to the Movement Church New York City podcast. To learn more about our church, including gathering times and more, be sure to check out our website at movementnyc.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Mike Doyle. Now, on Sunday mornings since last fall, I've actually been doing a series in the Gospel of Mark, and what I want to do is I want to step out of that today, and I want to share a passage that I actually think is the Lord's prophetic word for the Church of New York City right now in this moment. God speaks, amen? He's the God that speaks, and I think that he has something to say to the Church of New York City today, and I think this passage that we're going to look at actually summarizes that. And then also what we're going to be doing is I'm going to do a short little fall series where I want to look at some of the kind of essential values of our church, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. But this morning, I want to kind of cast a vision for what I believe God wants to do in the fall in our church and in the Church of New York. The title of this sermon is Prepare the Way of the Lord. And the passage, and I, again, I think this is a prophetic word for the Church of New York City, is Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 6. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, what? Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let me pray, and we're going to take a few minutes and unpack this. God, I thank you for your word. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would speak through me now, and I pray that every single one of us would be set free and transformed by the renewing of our minds. Do something supernatural in this room in the next 30 minutes or so as I speak, God. Change us. Set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you're a good Bible student, this passage was actually prophetically fulfilled by somebody. Who was it actually prophetically fulfilled by? John the Baptist, Brooke Ranson, give her, she was in the first service, so she does know the answer, but, uh, all right, so this, so just to clear the air, yes, this was prophetically fulfilled by John the Baptist, but I do think that there's a universal principle here, that if we want Jesus to come, if we want the Holy Spirit to move in power, that we, as the people of God, have to prepare the way, that we have to make a highway, that we have to make a dwelling place for God's presence to dwell. Yes, Jesus is with us all the time. Yes, the Holy Spirit's with us all the time. But I do believe that in the Bible, there is such thing as the manifest presence of God, the tangible presence of God, where all of a sudden, whether it's a Sunday morning or a Sikh night, or you're doing your devotions, and all of a sudden, you feel the presence of God like you've never felt it before. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? Well, how do we, how do we get those experiences? How do we create an environment where God's presence comes in such power? In the charismatic world, they'll, they'll, they use this phrase sometimes. They talk about like when Jesus walks into the room. What does that mean? It just means that we're worshiping Jesus, and then all of a sudden, we all get this very tangible sense that, wow, Jesus Christ has just come into the room. How do we create environments where that happens consistently? And that's what this passage is talking about. That if we want King Jesus to come, if we want the Holy Spirit to come move in power, whether it's in the first century or the 21st century, then we have to prepare a way for him. We have to create a dwelling place where his presence can dwell. You know, New York is a very secular city. It's an extremely distracting city. And everything is competing for our attention. The whole point of social media is to consume your attention. Do you guys get the little thing on Sunday where it shows you how much time you spend on your phone during the week? Does anybody get that? 
I get it every Sunday, and it like shames me every Sunday. <laughs> I can't believe how much time I spend on my phone. But, but those social media apps are designed to try to grab your attention and to maintain your attention. Everything in our culture today, everything in New York City is screaming at you for your attention, trying to distract you. We're trying to keep our eyes on Jesus. We're trying to stay focused on the mission, and everything in the world around us is trying to distract us, especially in New York City. And like Athens, New York City is a city full of idols. You know, in the modern world, we think we're so, we're so sophisticated that we don't worship idols anymore. We still worship idols. They're just more subtle. They're just more insidious. It's almost like in the ancient world, it was almost better. They just, they just named it. There was the god of money. There was the god of sex. There was a god of power. You know, Mammon and Molech. And they actually named them, made a statue for them, put them in a temple, and that's the god of money. That's the god of power. And they, they almost made it clear. We still worship idols today, but it's just more insidious. It's more hidden. And New York City is full of idols. Sex and money and power and knowledge and fame and success and materialism and consumerism. And what New York City is, and I'm not saying this to be discouraging, I'm actually saying it to encourage you, is what New York City is, New York City is a spiritual wilderness. It is a spiritual desert. And in the ancient world, if you were going to build a road, the last place you would build a road would be in a desert. Because it's so hard to build a road in the desert. There's no water, there's no shade, it's full of rocks, it's full of scary animals. You know, it's the last place you would want to build a road. But yet in the midst of the spiritual desert of New York City, listen to this, God wants us to build a road for him so that he can come in and move in power. And what God wants to do, and I want you to hear this, I believe it's a prophetic word from the Lord, is that God wants to turn the spiritual desert of New York City into a garden. Have you ever seen what happens? Don't Google it now. I I told the first service they couldn't. I think I lost them for the rest of the message. Just wait till after the service is done. And I want you to Google something because you're not going to believe me. Have you ever seen what happens at Death Valley when it rains? Death Valley is the hottest, driest place on planet Earth. It is the desert of all deserts. I think it's the lowest place on planet Earth. The second lowest is the Dead Sea. And yet every now and then, the El Nino rains will reach in and, and it will rain in Death Valley. And when it rains in Death Valley, you know what happens at Death Valley? All these California wildflowers bloom. And Death Valley becomes one of the most beautiful places on planet Earth. It's full of marigolds and primroses and lupines and desert stars and lilies. And this is what God does when he moves. God can take a desert. He can take the driest desert. And when rain falls on it, that desert becomes a garden. And that's what God wants to do in New York City. And in the Bible, what does rain symbolize? It symbolizes what? No, the Holy Spirit, Amen. When the Holy Spirit comes. And here's the other interesting thing, too, is that you know what precedes every revival, what what precedes every great move of God? A spiritual desert. A man named Jim Burns, he wrote this excellent book called The Laws of Revival. It's like a, it's a book for your generation. It's like 10 pages. Amen. It's really easy to read. You can get on Amazon. That was totally offensive. I apologize. So, uh, (laughs) that was like like harsh, rude, insensitive, not gentle. I apologize. So, let me rephrase it. It's a very easy book to read. It's a very short little book, okay? I apologize. I'm Gen X, so I'm kind of angry. So, so it's a little book, all right? <laughs> it's called The Laws of Revival. And in The Laws of Revival, Jim Burns says, we find preceding every revival a spiritual desert. So it's actually not something to be, you know, discouraged about. It's actually something to be super encouraged because we are in the most prime environment for God to come move in power. 
And I think even in New York City, the last four years in New York City, I've been in New York City for 14 years, the last four years have been the hardest of all those 14 years. It has been thing after thing after thing after thing after thing. And this is the darkest that I've ever seen in New York City, even really in my whole lifetime, because I kind of grew up around New York. But what happens is when, when the enemy comes in like a flood, what happens? The Lord raises up a standard against him. And in the darkness, the light of Jesus and the hope of the gospel shines so brightly. I was talking to a, a woman who used to go to movement. Now she lives in Nashville, Tennessee, amen. And, uh, and I was talking to her, and I was telling her that everywhere I go now, everybody wants to talk about Jesus in New York City. And if they find out I'm a pastor, I should just pretty much, kept, I'm going to talk to them for two hours. I'd like, if I, there's this one person that we rent a space from, and every time I talk to her, all she wants to do is talk about Jesus. Something has shifted in New York City. And people are so hungry and they're so open because, because New York City's gotten so much darker, people are wide open to the Holy Spirit to come move in power. But in order for this to happen, we the church, his house, his people, listen, by the power and the grace and the help of the Holy Spirit, because we can't do it on our own, we have to make a way for him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.1 that we work together with God. You know, it's not just all completely God. I have my responsibility, but I work together with God. God does, I do my part, God does his part. And when I do my part and God does his part, then amazing things begin to happen. And so we work together with the Holy Spirit to create a highway, a path, a way in the wilderness for King Jesus to ride in on. Jesus wants to invade New York City with his love and his power. You know, I'm kind of a history buff. I was always, I, for a long time, I was kind of like a Civil War guy, and then lately I've gotten really into World War II, and a couple years back, I was in Paris. I was doing a wedding in Paris, suffering for Jesus, amen, in Paris. I did a wedding at this chateau. It was, like, absolutely amazing, and I had a couple extra days, so I drove to Normandy. I went to the D-Day beaches, and what was fascinating about the invasion of Normandy that happened in World War II is ahead of the Allied army before it invaded um, Europe, they had these young men that were called pathfinders. And the pathfinders parachuted in behind the German-occupied lines in France, and their whole job was to go before the invading army to prepare a way for them, to find paths and, and to create a pathway for the soldiers to come. And that's what we are doing in New York City. We are spiritual pathfinders. And we're going ahead of the Lord, and we're preparing a way for King Jesus to be able to come in and invade New York City. And the question I have for all of us, and I want you to think about this question, is how can we create the most optimal environment for Jesus to be able to come? How can we best position ourselves and our church for the Holy Spirit to move in incredible power? And what are the stones and obstacles that, we, that need to be removed? Like what's keeping Jesus from just a total third grade awakening? Like, what's keeping the Lord from being able to come in all of his fullness, all of his power? What are those things in our church that need to be removed? What are those things in our individual lives that need to be removed? How can we optimize ourselves and position ourselves for the absolute manifest presence of God to come and transform New York City? Look at this quote by Charles Finney. Charles Finney was talking about this exact thing. Look at what he says. In breaking up your fallow, unplowed ground, you must remove every obstruction. Things may be left that you think are insignificant. However, if you do not remove the obstacles and do your best to make restitution for the mistakes, your faith will not sparkle for you. 
You know, what's interesting is there's only two times in the Gospels that Jesus ever got angry. And you're like, Jesus got angry? Yeah, he got furious. <laughs> two times he got furious. The first time he got furious was at the death of Lazarus because Jesus hates death. Death makes him furious. And the other time he got furious was when he went to the temple and it was the second temple. And the way the second temple was set up is you had the holiest of holies, you had the court of the Gentiles, you had the you had the court that the Jews could go in and worship, and then you had a court called the court of the Gentiles. And what had happened was is these money changers had set up these tables in the court of the Gentiles, which was to be where the nations were to worship God, and they had turned it into this whole money-changing rip-off enterprise. And Jesus so loves people, Jesus so wants God to connect with people and have their lives transformed, that when he walked into the temple and saw this massive obstacle that the money changers had placed between the people and Yahweh, he like lost his mind because that was an obstacle coming between Jesus and the people of God. That was something that was blocking the river of God. It was blocking people from being able to connect completely with Yahweh. So then Jesus does the craziest thing. This is really in the Gospels. I know you don't believe me. This is really in the Gospels. This isn't like gentle Jesus from Sunday school, amen? Like a white guy with red hair holding a lamb. This is like a different Jesus. It says he took some rope, made a whip, and he started whipping them and flipping the tables, and he drove all the money changers out. Why? Because that was an obstacle that had to be removed in order for God to move and be able to connect with the Lord. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 6, 3, he says, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found in our ministry. The Holy Spirit is also described in the New Testament as a river. And so you want to think about, okay, the Holy Spirit is like a river, and that's what we want. We want the river of God, and this is one of my prayers, we want the river of God to pulse through Manhattan. We want like a tsunami wave of the Holy Spirit to wash across the island of Manhattan. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? Manhattan is 13 miles long, two and a half miles wide at its its widest point, and I pray all the time that the river of God would pulse through Manhattan. Think how wild that would be. Think of the crazy things that would happen if the Holy Spirit was moving unhindered in the island of Manhattan. From the billionaires on Billionaires Road to the homeless people and everybody in between, imagine what New York City would be like if the river of God was flowing through our city. Well, where does the river of God begin? It actually begins in the house of God. And so the question is, what are the sticks and stones and hindrances and obstacles that are keeping, and the blockages that are keeping the river of God from being able to flow in full force? So I'm hitting middle age, right? My hair's thinning, and so there's something that happens when I take a shower, my drain gets clogged. Can anybody relate to that, amen? (laughs) And so periodically, I have to get Drano to clear out my, my... you know, my, uh, my, my bathtub or whatever because it, it gets clogged, all right? It gets blocked with my hair because my hair's thinning, amen? And, uh, and sometimes it's like that with the river of God. Like, what, you know, if we had spiritual Drano, like what, what's, what, what, what is, <laughs> what, what are the things that that spiritual, dra- and, and Drano is really, it's a form of acid, by the way. So like what, what's the spiritual Drano that we need to clear the blockages so the river of God can flow in all of its power. And who wants the river of God to flow? Anybody? I want the river of God to flow. I want what we experienced here. I want 10,000 people to experience that. I want those experiences magnified by 10. I want every addicted person to be set free. I want every depressed person to be filled full of hope. I want every suicidal person to find a reason to live. I want every broken marriage restored. I want every shattered life put back together again. When we get back into the Gospel of Mark, there's this beautiful story where it says that in, that. Everybody who touched Jesus, not even touched him, just touched the hem of his clothes, was what? Was 
healed. All they had to do was just like, just, just like touch like his little rope, boom, and they were healed. And that's our responsibility is to create a space where people, they can just touch the hem of Jesus' garment because <laughs> the moment they touch Jesus, they will be healed. Jesus is the answer. He's the solution to every problem facing New York City and our country. And so what we want to do is we want to just do a little bit of self-examination, not morbid self-examination, just a little bit of healthy self-examination and go, okay, what are the obstacles? What are the blockages? What are the stones? What are the things we need to be removed so we can maximize our enjoyment of God? What are the personal obstacles that need to be removed from our lives? So in this passage, it says, you know, make a straight way for the Lord. And the Hebrew word is a neat word. It's a Hebrew word, yeshar. And what's interesting about yeshar is, yeah, it literally it means straight, but it has a moral connotation, and it also means upright. So when you make a the straight path that it's talking about, it's talking about a straight path, a righteous path, an upright path. It's like when our grandparents used to talk about the straight and narrow. That's what the word yashar means. And if we want to experience God at a deeper level, then by the Holy Spirit's power through prayer, we need to be pursuing uprightness. I found a verse the other day. I've never seen it before. It's so fascinating because I want to have intimacy with God. Like, I want to know God deeply. Proverbs 3.32 says that he is intimate with the upright. And so what are the personal stones those personal objects that need to be removed from our lives by God's help. Maybe they're sinful habits. You know, an excellent book on breaking habits and forming good habits is actually Atomic Habits by James Clear. Has anybody read that book? It is an excellent book. And I want to give you some good news this morning. You can actually break bad habits and you can form good habits. All we are is the sum total of our habits, but we don't have to be slaves to our habits. We can actually change our habits. Look at this quote by James Clear. Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. And I want everyone to read this last sentence with me. Success is the product of daily habits. Our habits, good or bad, make us who we are and define our future. We are the sum total of our habits. And who we really are is who we are when no one's looking. To be totally transparent, like I, like I love to surf, okay? And I surf, I've been surfing a little more recently. And, uh, but when I surf, it seems kind of like a hippie thing. Actually, I get so selfish and aggressive when I surf. It brings out this whole other like, like dark side of me when I go surfing. And part of it is because how you start is how you finish. And I learned how to surf in a place called Virginia Beach at the First Street Jetty. And the waves were so small and there were so few of them, you had to scrap for every wave you had it was like learning to surf in like the South Bronx or something. Can I get an amen on that? <laughs> like you had to fight for every single wave. That's how I learned to surf. So that's my spiritual DNA. So I go out in the water and I'm like this like surfer from the Bronx. You know what I mean? Like I'm ready to fight everybody. I get aggressive. I get selfish. And last Monday I was surfing at Rockaway. I literally almost got in a fight with somebody. Like that, like that close to like fighting a dude. <laughs> and the funny thing about it is that when I surf out there, when I surf Rockaway and Long Beach, like nobody knows who I am. But I can't allow the fact of my, I can't allow my anonymity to allow me to be a jerk. Can I get an amen on that? Because here's the thing, I think if I fight this guy, <laughs> A, it's illegal, but B, if I fight this guy, he might end up showing up at my church on a Sunday morning. I don't want to be two people. 
I don't want to be Pastor Mike on Sunday and on social media and then I'm like jerk guy when I'm surfing, okay? I don't want to be Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I want to be one person. I want to be the same person when I'm home alone, when I'm out surfing, when I'm at church. I want to be true. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I want to be one person wherever I am. Maybe the obstacle in our lives is an addiction. If so, find someone to talk to about it. And the first good news about addiction is that Jesus Christ has the power to break every addiction in our lives. I've been a Christian for 30 years, and before I became a Christian, I was addicted to drugs. I was addicted to marijuana. And I know that's kind of a controversial thing today. It's legal. Well, it's still wrong. Amen? It's like, it's a, you're like, really? Yes, it is, okay? But I was addicted to marijuana. I couldn't stop. I couldn't get free from it. But when I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, Jesus put his finger on that area of my life and says, Mike, you cannot be a Christian and keep smoking weed. And I said, yes, Lord. He set me free. I haven't done drugs in 30 years. But whatever addiction you have, the first thing is I want to give you so much hope. I want to give you so much encouragement. I want to give you, I want to remove all shame and say whatever addiction you have, Jesus Christ has the power to set you free. And what I want you to do, if you have an addiction, sin grows in darkness. Sin is like mold. Bring it into the light and it zaps it, amen? It's like, get help. Get counseling. Find a support group. I can guarantee you that whatever thing... Whatever addiction you have, there's probably like 20 different support groups for that in New York City, okay? Bring it out of the darkness. And I also want to give you grace in that addiction is an interesting thing. Oftentimes, addiction is rooted in deeper issues in our lives. Oftentimes, if you have an addiction, it's because you're, you're trying to self-medicate some deep wound or something that happened to you at some point in your life. And until you deal with that deeper issue and you get healing in that deeper issue... That addiction's always gonna kind of haunt you a little bit, even if you get a measure of victory over it, okay? Jesus can heal, get healing, and then you won't need to self-medicate anymore. And honestly, I'm, I have kind of an addictive personality, so I self-medicate with Jesus, amen? He is my medicine. Also, if you're just really struggling with it, come see us. We can help connect you with addiction specialists, and we've done that for many people in our church. Maybe the stones in our lives is an area of compromise, whether it's in big things or little things. And I think, honestly, for most of us, it's not the big compromises we struggle with, it's the little compromises that diminish us. It says in the Song of Solomon that it's the little foxes that spoil the vineyard. You can ruin a whole bottle of perfume with what? With just one little stinky, rotting fly. (laughs) Or maybe the obstacles in our lives are things that are not technically sinful in themselves, but they're holding us back from running after Jesus with all that we have. They're just dead weight. You know, the Olympic Games, they didn't start in the early 20th century. The Olympic Games actually began around the time of Jesus. What's interesting about the Olympic Games in Jesus' day is the marathon runners, when they would run, because it was a world before Nike and before you know, spandex and lycra and yoga pants and everything else, like what you did in Jesus' world when they, wanted, when they wanted to run really fast, I know this could sound kind of strange, they would run the marathon naked. Because you can't run fast in a togo and Birkenstocks on, amen? And so they wanted to run as fast as they possibly could. And so in order to run as fast as they possibly could, you know what they would literally do? Strip everything off of themselves. So they could run it as, as fast as they possibly could. 
And that's the analogy that, Paul, that the writer of Hebrews is pointing to in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Look at this. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Moses and David and Ezekiel and all the great Christian saints and the, the, the billions of believers that have gone before us, the, the picture here is that you're like in an arena and you're running this race and you're surrounded by all the great saints that have gone before us. He says, surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and I think that's those not technically sinful things, and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us what? Run with endurance the race that is set before us. And I want everyone to read this part, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, one of the classic questions is like, all right, what does a church need today? Does it need reformation or does it need revival? You know what? It needs both. And honestly, reformations precede revival. If you look at church history, that's the way it works. The, the reformation that happened in the 16th and the 17th century prepared the way for the revivals of the 18th, the 19th, and the 20th century. That when we clear out the obstacles, when we get our house in order, when we remove the obstacles, when we strip off the, the things that are weighing us down, when we deal with the little areas of compromise in our lives, you know what happens? Then we create a pathway for the Holy Spirit to rush in in power. And God is looking for a dwelling place, a place that can host his presence, a tabernacle where his tangible presence can be felt. And so that's what we want to build here at Movement. You know what we want to build at Movement? We want to build a place where God's presence comes and dwells. What does the church have that you can't find anywhere else in New York City? What's the thing that's unique to the house of God? The presence of God. The world might be smarter than us. They might be more talented than us. They may have more resources than us. But what we have that you can't find anywhere else in the world is the wonderful, healing, satisfying, magical presence of God presence of God. And that's what we want this place to be. We want it to be a place where God's presence can dwell, where Jesus is welcome here, where Jesus can walk in and he feels so comfortable here, he can just sit in the front row with Maya because he doesn't feel greed. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not cringing at everything that we're doing. We want to create an environment where the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit's a dove. He, he, when the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus, in the, what form did he descend upon Jesus? As a mountain lion? As a falcon? As a grizzly bear? No, I was thinking about it. When the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus, it was absolutely deliberate. He came upon Jesus, what, in the form of a, a dove. Have you ever held a dove? You're like, no, I live in New York City. Well, I have, okay? <laughs> yeah, I've touched dirty pigeons. They're kind of similar. Like a, like a dove looks like a pigeon like on a really good day. You know what I mean? It's like... Like a dove's like a pigeon that's got its act together and has a good job and a good credit score. So that's like, like a dove. <laughs> if you ever held a dove, they are the most gentle creatures. They're so gentle. They're so humble. That's why the dove is the universal symbol for peace. And we want to create an environment where the Holy Spirit, the gentle, humble Holy Spirit just comes down like this. And then it says when the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus, it says, it says it rested upon him. Doves are also super skittish. I have like a little morning dove that shows up on like my little back 
or my fire escape sometimes, and I can't move. And I, we just have a moment where he looks at me and I look at him, right? And nobody can move. <laughs> but if I like flinch a little, he takes off. They're kind of skittish. But Jesus was so humble. Jesus was so centered on God. He was so peaceful that the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus and remained on Jesus. And that's what we want to do. We want to create an environment where the Holy Spirit can descend on us and remain with us, where Jesus is welcome, where he walks into the room every, every Sunday morning and we're just blown away by the reality of his presence. You know, if you're building a highway in the desert, it's pioneering work. So what would happen, like in the ancient world, if you're the king of Babylonia and you wanted to go from Babylon to Jerusalem, because there was no, you know, there wasn't the 95, there wasn't the BQE, there wasn't, you know, the East Side Highway. What you would do is you'd actually have to send an advance team to go out before you to build a road so you could get from point A to point B. And so if you were the advance guy that was sent out, then first thing you would do is you try to find if there was any remnants of any roads that had been built in the past, okay? And so we, we try to do that, right? Is there anything left over from the moves of God in the past? We try to find whatever remnants are there. And where there are no remnants, then we make a way where there is no way. And then what ends up happening is you're building something new out of nothing and you're a pioneer of God's presence. You are bringing God's presence into somewhere that it isn't. And that's exactly what we are doing at Movement Church. In Midtown Manhattan, in the Flatiron neighborhood at 23rd and 5th Avenue, where there is no way, we're making a way. We are pioneering for Jesus. We are building a road, a dwelling place, so that Jesus can come and make his presence known on 23rd Street and Midtown Manhattan. It's like the Israelites going into Canaan. We're taking ground and transforming a pagan land into the promised land, a place where God's presence could come and dwell on the earth. And how does this passage say that we prepare a way by three things? And I'm gonna close with these. First is by encouraging the discouraged. And this passage says, every valley shall be raised up. And I think part of the first calling is for every Christian that feels low, every Christian that feels defeated, the first thing you wanna do is you wanna raise them up, you wanna encourage them, you wanna inspire them, you wanna get behind them, you wanna help them catch fresh vision. You know, we have a mental health crisis in our culture today, and what so many people need is they just need and I want to tell you something, there is infinite hope in Jesus Christ. And, and that is what the gospel, and that is what God, and that is what the risen Jesus offers the world is hope. The second way we prepare a way is by humbling our hearts. It says, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. If we want to see revival, if we want to see God move again, then we have to humble our hearts because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to who? The humble. Second Chronicles 7, 14, we talk about it all the time. If my people who are called by my name, what? If they will humble themselves. And you know what? Praying is an act of humility. Praying is, is an acknowledgement that I can't do it on my own. You know, if you, li if you live in New York City, it's probably because you're a self-starter, you got some moxie, you came to New York, you made a life for yourself against at all odds. That's the type of people that are, that are usually in New York City or you're stuck here, whatever it is. Somehow you got here, right? And nobody likes to be told that they can't do something or they don't have the ability to do something. I can't stand that. I'm Irish. Don't tell me I can't do something, amen? 
And then I'm only 5'7 and 150, so I have a little guy complex. Like, don't tell me like I can't do something, you know? But there's things I can't do. I have limits. And so every time I pray and I acknowledge that I'm limited and I need God, you know what, you know what that is? That's an act of humility. I don't have all the answers. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I'm not the best speaker. You're like, that's true. I'm not, you know, I don't have all the wisdom in the world. God, I need you. I need you, God. If you don't come and move, if you don't come and make a way, then I can't make a way, God. I need you, Yahweh. That is an act of humility. And when we humble ourselves and pray, it moves God's heart and God responds. Look at this great quote by David Cho. David Cho, before he passed away, he pastored the largest church in the world. He's in Seoul, South Korea. He didn't finish well. You'll find that if you Google him. But, but he wrote this really great book before he kind of blew his life up. And look at this quote, right? It says, if we walk in the spirit of pride, then God resists us when we approach him in prayer. If we are broken and contrite before him, he gives us more grace. Read the sentence. Success is based on the grace of God. We cannot do anything successful on our own merit, but by his divine grace, we can do all things. What we need to be successful, what is more grace? How do we get more grace? We get it by being broken in humility before God. God dwells with the humble. God says in Isaiah, he says, I dwell, he says, I dwell in a high and holy place with those who are humble and broken in spirit. You know who God's entourage is? You know who God's inner circle is? God's clique? It's the humble ones. And why is it the humble ones? Because God is humble. Jesus said about himself, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and what I am, humble in heart. Humble people like being around other humble people. And Jesus is humble, and the ones that he allows in, the ones he brings into his confidence, the ones that he's intimate with, are the humble ones. God is attracted to humility. He's attracted, he's attracted to brokenness. Second to Jesus, the person in the Bible who was used the most powerfully was Moses. And I think the secret behind Moses' success was the fact that it says in Numbers 12, 3, that Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Outside of Jesus, no one got, no one was greater than Moses, and I think the secret behind that is because Moses was humble. And the third way we prepare a way is through repentance. In our passage, it says, the rough ground shall become level and the rugged places a plain. And so when we come to God, we repent, we turn from our wicked ways, and we say, God, come do a fresh work in my heart. And what happens, and one last thing I want to tell you, and then I'm going to conclude this message is, there is no revival without repentance. Okay? You can't, you can't jump that. You can't, there's no revival without repentance. We can have smoke machines and lasers and hype, and, but it'll all end up collapsing. Okay? If we want a true move of God, you know what it begins? It begins in the house of God when the people of God begin to repent. And repentance is a gift. We just come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, we're so sorry. Forgive us for all of our sins. Wash us clean with your blood. And the moment you do that, you're forgiven, you're reconciled, and God fills you with his Holy Spirit. And what happens when we do this? When we encourage the discouraged, when we humble our hearts, when we repent, it says in our passage, then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. 
And there's one last point I wanna close with. We desperately need Jesus to come. We desperately need revival. We desperately need a new move of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not trying to be dramatic, and I want, listen to this, this is my final point. I'm not trying to be dramatic, and I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. I'm trying to be like totally honest with you, okay? Is we are at an inflection point in the United States of America. And I wanna tell you something, it is zero hour, zero hour. And I feel so bad for you young people. I feel like you are being handed this incredibly broken world. It's not my fault, it's the boomers. I didn't have anything to do with it, I was kidding. <laughs> I'm like in the middle, I'm just trying to help you guys. I didn't, I didn't mess the world up. But we, it doesn't matter whose fault it is, right? You're being handed this incredible broken world, but what I wanna tell you is that every problem that America is facing today, Jesus Christ can solve every single problem. Every single problem. And we don't know when Jesus is gonna come back. I think he's coming back extremely soon. But even if he isn't, every problem can be solved by Jesus. But it is zero hour. Less people are going to church. Church attendance is on the decline. More and more young people are, are walking away from the faith. And we have a huge national drug epidemic in the United States that I think is rooted in depression and despair and fear. Why are so many people taking fentanyl? Because they're self-medicating. Because they feel hopeless and afraid. Why are so many people abusing drugs and alcohol? Because they're afraid. If I didn't have Jesus in my life, I'd be abusing drugs and alcohol. It is a scary world, but Jesus is the answer. Do you know that last year, 110,000 people died from fentanyl overdoses? 110,000 people. 60,000 people died in the Vietnam War. That's like, that's like a Vietnam every, about every six months, every, about every eight months. In America, America is having a Vietnam every eight months from fentanyl. Fentanyl overdoses is now the leading cause of death for everybody between 18 to 45. Second to fentanyl, the second leading cause of death is suicide. And sociologists, they call these deaths of despair. It's a national crisis. People desperately need hope. They desperately need encouragement. They desperately need vision. And this is what the gospel offers us. We have the, we have the solution for every problem facing New York City Every problem, every problem facing the United States, and his name is Jesus. I'm serious. Jesus can solve every problem in America. But we need to create a way for him. We need to make a way in the wilderness so that he can come move in power and he can begin to set people free and heal our nation and transform lives and turn back the darkness. But it begins with us, church. The river of God begins in the house of God. So let's remove every obstacle, every hindrance, every compromise, every sin, every blockage, every stone, so that God can come do those crazy things that we all wanna see God do. Amen, church? That is the word of the Lord for the Church of New York City. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. And we're gonna do that, amen? That's what we're doing this fall. Let's stand to our feet, everybody stand up.